It's Nick Austin, and on this edition of the podcast, with the importance the Black Church has played in cities like Detroit, for some, the fact that population and church attendance is showing a decline has been a little bit of an alarming trend. What does it mean? Is it reflective of something else that is happening broader in society? And what would it take to bump that back up? Also, historically, let's look back. What role has the church played for the black community, not only in the civil rights movement, but also currently? How has that progressed? On this edition of the podcast, we take a look at all of these questions and more with Jason Oliver Evans, who's a PhD candidate in the Religious Studies Department at the University of Virginia, focusing on Christian theology and African American religion. Jason, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's it's a really pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here, too, because it's a really interesting thing and a trend that a lot of us have been seeing. In fact, about 10 years ago, an African-American studies scholar at Princeton sparked a debate declaring that the black church, as we've known it or imagined it, is dead. That's a big claim. So why do you think that scholar made such a bold statement in the first place? And, and what are your thoughts on it? Oh, I see it this way. When I first read that article 10 years ago, I was in seminary. And when I read it, the first line, I was completely shocked. I was a young seminarian trying to, you know, look. I took for granted this vision of the Black church that he was indicting or simply, you know, putting to death. And what that that statement provoked a lot of, you know, backlash in the sense that Obviously, there are many African-American churches that still exist to this day. There are those churches um, do have influence in their respective communities, whether they provide um, food, clothing, other kind of resources to the communities that they um, are serving, whether they're in urban communities or in suburban communities. There are big, prominent Black churches. And so when you hear such a thing as the Black church as we have imagined it is dead, that causes a real kind of like shock like has this person been to church <laughs> <laughs> but in reality so in hindsight i think what um, professor gloud was provoking for us to think about was what are the assumptions that many um, black christians and people who are outside of the black church have about the purpose or the nature and the role of the black church in um the body politic right and so when it comes to the black church there's this common presumption that the black church um, is this moral consciousness of the nation. And we, you know, we look in the histories of the black church and we can see, um, as my article, you know, points out to prominent black Christian leaders, enslaved Christian leaders um, like Denmark Vassy and Nat Turner were instrumental in organizing and slave insurrections, right? And there, of course, there is, um, People like uh, Bishop Henry McNeil Turner in the turn of the 20th century, he was a bishop of the AME Church or the African Methodist Episcopal Church, where he himself um, was one of the earliest African-Americans to serve in a state legislature. And so, and then of course, you know, in recent memory, we have the civil rights movement. A lot of black Protestant and um, some Catholic Christian ministers, of course, notably Martin Luther King Jr., Edgar, Medgar Evers, yeah. and C.T. Vivian, were these instrumental um, pioneering figures for social change in, in, you know, bringing about the rights, um, further rights of African Americans in the United States. But in reality, 
historians remind us, particularly in that conversation with Eddie Gloud, that the, the history of the Black church, Afro-Christianity, has always been a complicated matter. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right. I think what people are looking at from the broad uh, strokes of that, though, would more just be, certainly there's complications, but uh, normally I think many folks would think uh, that uh, earlier, and in, in when you mentioned like the civil rights movement, the black church was at the epicenter of a lot of these social movements, where now when you look at things like Black Lives Matter and, and such, it's not necessarily there. It can play an important role, but that's not necessarily where the genesis of. So that's a little bit of a different arc, uh, which might just be reflective of where you're at. But what would you say in response to that? You're right. Um, I think when it comes to for a lot of younger millennials and Gen Zers that I've interacted with, but also just researching through social media, when it comes to the relationship or their perception of the black church, a lot of them perceive it as irrelevant for their own personal life, as well as um, somehow abdicating their responsibility to speak to the social political moment. So you bring it Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, for instance, of course, is highly driven um, excuse me, um, by millennial, younger millennials as well as Gen Zers who are not necessarily affiliated with the Black church. Some of them, of course, were raised in the Black church. Some distanced themselves from the Black church. And you also see that these were, for the most part, led by Black queer women, Black trans people, and non-binary people, people who, um, in their personal experience, have a complicated a relationship with many African-American churches. And so, and also, I mean, people perceive that the black church, you know, traffics in um, patriarchy and queer phobia and trans antagonism. And so when it comes to speaking to the social political realities, no one of this gener these two generations are looking for um, a new MLK or a new Mecca Evers to speak to these realities. Um, in fact, I think the image of the black male patriarchal leader, um, whether it's fair or not, no one's looking for that. They're looking for to galvanize a more egalitarian, radically egalitarian movement where all participate, regardless of non, you know, sexual identity and yeah. gender identity, yeah. which has still been um, a continual, you know, vexing matter for many African American. Uh, Christians to reckon with. Yeah, when you're talking about folks uh, like that with that uh, I impact, I mean, when we think about the the writings that people have learned historically from the church and the positions they would have, that would be a little antithetical to the positions that you would have for your LGBTQ community. And you can understand how there's a bit of a tension there that would still need to be reconciled. But uh, you also mentioned a little bit about the experience of, of younger folks uh, in their interactions with the church versus older folks. I'd like to take it a little bit more personally, if we can, for a moment uh, with you specifically. I'm curious about uh, your experience going to church and what that journey has been like for you, especially now given the fact that you're focusing so much of your studies, again, religious studies, PhD candidate. Uh, how is this journey reflected in what you've seen uh, through your path through Christianity? I will joke and say we probably would need three more hours to talk about <laughs> That <this>. is fair. <laughs> but um, quickly, so me personally, I am a fourth-generation um, Baptist minister, so I was raised in... Um, uh, for a, a highly religious family in the city of Philadelphia and outside the city of Philadelphia. So preaching, preachers have been around 
my family, <laughs> my great grandfather, my grandfather, my uncles. And so um, very committed leaders within their um, church communities. And for me, I mean, I think my personal journey has been one of, you know, tri personal triumphs and of course um, struggles because I am also an openly gay Black Baptist minister. And that journey to ordination took a very long time. Um, come reckoning to terms with my Black identity, my Christian identity, my, you know, my sexual identity. Um, that for me has sparked in part this journey towards understanding what it means to be a Christian in this social political moment in this particular black queer body, but more so, what does it mean to be Christian more broadly? Like what are the historical and cultural and theological perspectives that shape and are shaped by particularly African-Americans in history and putting those into conversation with the larger Christian community worldwide? I think for me, I am mostly acutely aware that during this time, particularly in the United States, people, a lot of people, you know, mistrust Christianity, right, for a lot of reasons. And I think for Black Christianity in particular, a lot of us have rested on our laurels and, and our memories are, of invoking, you know, our presumed position of being the moral consciousness of the church, I mean, of the nation, mm. where you have many young people who, uh, who are explicitly queer and trans have been wounded in Black churches. And so for me, I see and envision my own scholarship and vocation as a minister to bring a sense of healing and restoration, um, not just for, you know, queer and trans people to come back to the church. No, I think the Black church needs to be healed and restored from this legacy of um, harboring in this trans antagonism, this queer antagonisms that I really believe that are vestiges of um, larger, I mean, our historical colonial project to that condemns black bodies as such as deviant, mm. animalistic, sin, inherently sinful. And so th that internalization in many black churches through their doctrines and practices, that wounds a lot of people currently. And so that's why you have a lot of people who are like, I'm done with the church, yeah. right? And and so for me, like, <laughs> well, you know, you know it's, like, it's a complicated matter. Yeah, well, very complicated, Jason. And I do really appreciate you for sharing that perspective because it's very unique. And I don't think it's something that a lot of folks run into. I do want to touch in on one thing that you mentioned, though. You're talking about not being a great space uh, for people who have a similar experience as you, queer community, and being feeling safe in the black church, and that being one aspect of why people uh, might be leaving. We'll get into other aspects as well, as, as well as trying to figure out what that looks like on the whole. But let's just unpack this for a bit, because you did mention specifically the role the black church plays in this. However, it's my understanding that you see a decrease across all churches, even outside of the black church. And you also have historically, again, with the way the word has been preached, as I understand, it's been antagonistic towards that queer perspective as seeing that somehow not consistent with what you would see in the word of the Bible. So while I know that you did mention that one thing specific to the, the black church, is there other things that you think might be going on there since we see this trend outside the black church as well? And you have that those connections to, uh, to gospel. Is there anything else that you see that might be? Uh, touching in on this or do you really do you think it's just that uh that lone story that you just told us I, there are other factors i do believe that 
and sociologists have been have yet to study i think black churches shifts um in this current moment but there has been research to just um and i think your previous guest touched on this that there have been demographic shifts within the last 50 years when it comes to black churches that have contributed to like the decline in membership when you have post-civil rights where African-Americans started, some African-Americans started to get, you know, upperly mobile. They started to move out of these, the cities, right? And for a lot of urban cities, this is where a lot of churches are, particularly African-American churches. And so a lot of the members um, post-civil rights era, they got, you know, good jobs. And so they started moving out of, you know, their cities. Um, Some of them started to commute from the suburbs to church and some do to this day while others um, started to go elsewhere, perhaps somewhere more close to their um, residence, place of residence. So they would go to, you know, these particular communities. Some of these big, um, I mean, some of these prominent churches in the inner city started building and buying up property in the suburbs and, and moving their sites out into the suburbs to, you know, expand their membership, right? So they started to become more mega churches. And so what does that do with access to, you know, poorer communities who were members of these churches to, you know, commute? Some of them decided to go elsewhere, which was more convenient. Another layer to this is, I think, um, more broadly, American Christianity is in decline and sociologists have studied the the decline of mainline churches, i.e. predominantly white Protestant um, churches like the Episcopal Church, the UCC, United Church of Christ, et cetera. But what we see now in um, African-American churches that has yet to be studied, but it's more anecdotal, is that a lot of folks are leaving churches um, for a myriad of reasons. They no longer see um, the institution as relevant for their personal spirituality. And so now there's a shift um, from an emphasis on institutional religion to more personal spirituality. Like I can get God without the necessity of the church. And so I don't need to invest my time, energy, or finances in maintaining an institution where I have access to the divine through a myriad of ways, whether watching, you know, television, uh, religious television. So some of them will consume, you know, religious television, or they can, you know, read personal books, or they can have smaller community community fellowships within their homes or elsewhere. I, they don't feel the need to go to an institutional uh, community anymore. And of course, there's also people are beginning to popularly known as deconstructive faith. And so they're starting to ask the critical questions of what does it mean to be Christian um, in relation to their own personal experiences, as well as what's happening in the world today on a more social political scale. And many of them are finding that their their pastoral leaders are either ill-equipped or unequipped to help them reckon with those Critical questions. Yeah. And so they go elsewhere. Yeah. We're speaking with Jason Oliver Evans, a PhD candidate in the Religious Studies Department at the University of Virginia, focusing on Christian theology and African American religion. (music) 
Jason, one of the things that I wanted to get into with you is, as you mentioned, kind of how uh, the black church, uh, in your view, was the epicenter or looked at a a lot as the epicenter of uh, kind of moral change in the black community during the times of Martin Luther King's civil rights movement moving on. Whereas right now, it's not necessarily seen as the epicenter or so reflective with a younger generation. It strikes me as there may be a substitute, right? People need community. A lot of the reason that the black church was so important for community was it was that one place, uh, a consistent place where you could go and you could get not only uh, spiritual uh, fulfillment, but also meet your community, uh, deal with problems that might be going on in the world, or just come together in fellowship. But I still believe, even as folks are leaving the church, as we've discussed a little bit earlier, that need for fellowship, that need for community still exists. So do you see that out there? Is there a place that people are getting that fulfillment? Is there a place where people are are congregating now? Are there substitutes that you're finding out there? What do you see in in your uh, development, your, your studies in this area? Think you're spot on i think there there is a need for alternative spaces that a lot of folks who were raised in the black church desire and for some communities they find those um those resources through uh, digital spaces and so for a lot of um younger millennial and uh gen zers they look to digital communities because for a lot of folks they find these virtual spaces to um, be more free to share their experiences, to encourage one another. And even though it does not have the benefit of physical contact specifically, what it does is it provides um, a digital space where people can be um, share um, resources for not just spiritual resources, but information when it comes to health, um, economic, housing opportunities. And so you find these curated spaces like from the likes of um, the Reverend Dr. Melva Sampson with her Pink Road Chronicles or uh, Daniel Thomas, the unfit Christian community. These digital media spaces become um, kind of like a hush arbor, a digital hush arbor from those who are seeking refuge from institutional religion, but still trying to foster a sense of community. Now, there's also physical community that they may um, have with their smaller friend community. They may um, organize certain networks where they can have community, but it's not attached to organized religion. So this is yet more to be studied. um, And I welcome sociologists (laughs) to do that kind of study. Uh, my meager theology degree, I'm like, I read more texts. But <laughs> nevertheless, they what we see now on the digital and um, virtual landscape are these um, re- these religious communities, uh, spiritual communities yeah. of African-American millennials and Gen Zers reaching to one another. And you find that these digital communities can be a place where it is inclusive and affirming of um, perspectives like LGBTQ perspectives, as well as the perspectives of women. And they tend to be um, not um, heavily Christian, or I should say Christianity is not predominant. And so, because there's a lot of African-Americans who are um, in their minds, well, what they believe to be true is to retrieve those African derived religious resources um, as a way to kind of like, for lack of a better word, decolonize their minds from like the white European 
Protestant Christianity that has been like mediated in some elements through the mm. black church to them. And so they're mm. and so they're drawing from these traditions like Candomblé, Santeria, yeah. Ifa, Yoruba, et cetera, to affirm their their blackness as well their humanity and their connection with god outside of the traditional frame of christianity yeah you know J- jason oliver evans you, you give me a lot to think about with a lot of these responses so i'm, I'm going to start here uh, that's very uh, insightful do we know what percentage or what amount of people i know you said there's not a lot of studies so might we might not know but we do know do we know how prominent this kind of this group of youth that you're describing is out there in the percentage of folks uh the over Overall percentage of African American or uh, black uh, black people in terms of their church affiliation and, and seeking something new. Do we know what kind of percentage we're talking about here with this kind of viewpoint? Currently, no. Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, currently, yeah, currently, no. Like, this, actually, I mean, I would say that sociologists and anthropologists are studying this right yeah, now, right? Um, current generations of these scholars because they know that this is a, as religion overall in America is on rapid decline, what they see within Black religious landscape is that even though they see this very um, observable decline in Black churches, um, they have yet to see like how long these newer spaces or movements, right. like what's going on. And that that's basically, a, that requires a longitudinal study yeah. of like, because these movements, because they are movements, right. of course, they're going to need to sustain themselves. And these uh, new, newer communities, I mean, I just said it, they're new. <laughs> and so that would require um, further study. But I would I want to add this caveat. Even though there is a decline in African-American churches, African-American churches still exist, and they are not in a dec- their decline is at a slower pace than the larger, or let's say, the white Protestant counterparts, because the white mainline Protestant churches have been on rap- decline since the 1960s, and they have been rap- rapidly declining. What we are seeing is that, or acknowledging is that, and this, the Pew Research um, Center did a huge study on faith among African Americans, that there is decline in black churches, but African Americans overwhelmingly tend to be in relation to other religious racial groups, quote unquote, religious, and that of that pool of black religious, the majority of them are black Protestants who attend African American congregations. And so this is just to say, I'm trying to take out any kind of doomsday scenario that somehow the church is like dying as some will readily say, well, the church, black church is dying. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think that is, empirically problematic. Uh, I would say that they are in decline. And I think most acutely the decline was very much felt in the last three years since COVID-19, when you had a disproportionate number of African-Americans die from COVID. Obviously these churches lost membership. Yeah. Especially when a lot of these persons who died were um, older people who belonged to these churches and who were consistent tithe givers. Yeah. So that that put a lot of the smaller black churches who are, you know, yeah. their budgets and, you know, yeah. 
in crisis. Yeah, and you know, Jason Oliver Evans, you would also think if you're having more of a personal connection to people who are passing away or getting really ill from personal contact, you're going to be a little less inclined to try to go to a public space than maybe some other areas in order to attend church. But one thing I wanted to get back into that you mentioned kind of this idea, to me, I think of it like horizontal versus top down. It seems like a lot of the youth that you're speaking about are more interested in more of a what an egalitarian <laughs> viewpoint of their uh, collection, of their uh, uh, collaboration, not necessarily getting a word from on high, but a more kind of uh, whole, uh, we're all equal in, in this together. Is that something that's really changing the the, the disillusion with having the, the leader from on top in that uh, hierarchy structure in your fellowship versus having it be more uh, more grouped? Is that what's really driving some of these things? I think so. Um, I think... It's not that leadership is the problem. It's about people are really longing for more participation in the life of the church as in contributing to the direction of the church and not relying on one central soul figure mm. to be the visionary. And I think I think there's certain the role of the black pastor in the black church has been uh, some would say been like instrumental in of course leading African American communities, right? We can say this from a historical basis. And a lot of that has to do with, of course, our cultural traditions more broadly as Black people, like the griot, the person who is able to interpret like the the mysteries of the divine and give it to the people, right? right. And to encourage and to tell the stories um, and to encourage the people. So central, like, so the elders or the sages of our community have been widely revered and respected. And I don't want to diminish their importance and their influence. But what we are seeing, and it's not just the youth, it's older people too, but it's definitely acute with youth that young people want to know by, from their leaders that they are not merely objects of ministry to be worked upon, like to be reached, but to be active participants in the life of these communities. Yeah. And so that means delegating and um, distributing authority meaning young people are not merely the future leaders of the church. They are the leaders of the church. And so that requires um, a reimagining of what how we perceive as older people who younger people are. Because we're like, well, the young people have to do X, Y, and Z in order to get here. Well, and it's interesting because from a Christian theological standpoint, God has no grandchildren. And so whether you're the oldest person in the church whether you're the sainted mother who's 92 or the youngest adherent who's like who became baptized at seven all are equally before god god's children and so we have to reimagine what um have a more robust understanding of who children and young people are as participants in the life of the community that just doesn't say stay in the child's place or you will get your time. Yeah. Now, there's some truth to that. And of course, everyone has to mature and develop in, in, in their certain ways. But there is a sense in which even the scriptures defy, you know, that kind of notion, right? We could see this when Jesus says, suffer the little children unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven, right? And which we are, old, I mean, older people have to become like these little children when it comes to receiving um, the kingdom. We can also look in um, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, if you will, where God calls Samuel a, like 
a, a little child. God speaks to the little child as the child is sleeping in in the tabernacle with the with the priest Eli. And so God calls younger people. And you see this most acutely in the story of the call of Jeremiah, yeah. when God ordains and, and calls Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah himself protests like, please, I'm just yeah. a young person, but God defies all of that. Yeah. Right? I got to jump so, in. I got to jump in here, though, because yeah. I just want to make sure you get an opportunity to answer this question. We got about a minute left. I mean, we've been okay. talking about the decline. And as you mentioned, it's important to note not dying. We're just talking about a decline. But it's something that I know the black church would like to, let's say, reverse and get a little bit higher up. So to close out, what do you think? We got about a minute left. Uh, the black church needs to do churches generally need to do to up that membership to solve this need and get folks maybe. Uh, uh, turning the tide back towards uh, increasing, if that's the goal. I think there needs to be a transformation of our minds. We have to constantly question and also examine the assumptions that we hold to be true, that it may not be true for today. And it doesn't mean that the message has changed. It simply means that perhaps that we have changed and departed from the message. So we have to be more self-critical. We cannot be... Uh, just assume our place and standing in our communities because some people come for us for food or for shelter and, or for some to pay with their bills. Like we have to examine whether, you know, I will quote, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And so we have to be more critical and to see what harms are we doing or contributing to this decline. Yeah, I mean, that we're going to end it there. But Jason Oliver Evans, Ph.D. candidate at the, for religious studies at the Religious Studies Department at the University of Virginia, I should say, really appreciate you bringing your insight and joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Nick. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FM.